Fisher calls herself a natural listener, which helps to make not knowing a positive trait. When first setting up her company, she found the combination of these two traits to be an advantage. As she says, when you don't know and you're really listening intently, people want to help you. They want to share. Evidently, she's managed to maintain the vulnerability and receptivity of her original I don't know, even as she's become a seasoned leader of an enduring brand in the fashion industry. One of the outcomes of managing by not knowing is, as Fisher says, that people feel safe to explore their own ideas instead of feeling like they just need to do what you tell them to do. Welcome to The Behaviorist with Work Wisdom, where we help you adopt high-performance mindsets, behaviors, communication, and culture. I'm your host, Sarah Colantonio. Our intention for The Behaviorist podcast is to share accessible, concrete practices that you can weave into your whole life to begin a shift toward joy and meaningful achievement. Today, we're turning our focus on contemplative leadership, and we're grateful to have Kimberly Pfeiffer from the Work Wisdom team joining us. Hi, Kimberly. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for having me. You bet. And also, we have Kedron Crosby, also from the Work Wisdom team. Thank you for coming. Um, So the introduction was from the book, The Fearless Organization by uh, Amy Edmondson, and I just interviewed her earlier today. So I feel like we should be applauding. <laughs> it was really exciting. Yeah. I tried super hard not to gush all over um, Amy Edmondson for being on the podcast. But but then when uh, it, I was trying to think of a good introduction to talk about contemplative leadership, um, and, and I was thinking about Eileen Fisher and this. Uh, and so what I read was basically straight from the book. Uh, and this idea of humble listening, I thought, really goes well. But I am going to have to ask some questions of you, Kimberly, because I want to learn a little bit more about this. Um, yeah. So my first question, this is a personal one. Why did you become so interested in diving deeply into contemplative leadership? What sparked yeah. that interest? Yeah. Um, well, I guess first I'll say I loved the quote you picked. Okay, thanks. <laughs> because of the not knowing aspect of it. Yeah. And I think throughout our podcast today, um, hopefully there'll be this sense of like, there is a not knowing to yeah. contemplative leadership because there is a piece that is the mystery of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I think that was a great choice. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah. So how I got into this and how kind of contemplation, contemplative leadership has been uh, become passion of mine was really, um, just from a place of needing to be compassionate for myself and needing to be gentle on myself. Um, I think I was living this very fast paced way, very even chaotic, Mm. um, where I was very reactive to things and just did them. And there was zero reflection, zero space in Mm. my life. Um, and it came to a point where I then had some physical and mental health issues Mm. and it was, Mostly, I think I was introduced to uh, spiritual practice and mindfulness through um, struggling with an addiction and kind mm-hmm. of that recovery process. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, I didn't know this was called contemplation or <laughs> contemplative leadership, but turns out, you know, 10 years later, I'm like, oh, this is a thing. And <laughs> um, then also, I think part of it was my own spiritual journey. I've always had a sense of, 
you know, God or a higher power or energy or love, whatever you want to call it, Mm. that I thought, you know, this can't just be compartmentalized in my life. I think this probably is part of all of my life. And Mm. I just began exploring that for myself. And here I am today. So, yeah. What does contemplative leadership look like? I I think there's something inherently a little complex about that. Even that idea when I was preparing for this, I was like, what is it? (laughs) I don't get it. It seems like maybe they don't even go together, but I guess they do. Yeah. Um, I think you're probably not alone in that. (laughs) Um, Earlier, actually, the three of us were just talking about the difference between contemplation or contemplative and then what people might hear as mindfulness or meditation. Um, And again, this is my understanding. So there's people might define these differently. I think that is part of the reason why there is some confusion is because people do define them differently. Mm. And again, part of the reason why is these are hard to define is because of that mystery aspect there. Um, These weren't necessarily maybe meant to be defined. They were more meant to be experienced. Um, And so it is hard to put language to these experiences. So, but I'll try my best. Um, (laughs) My understanding, I like to think of an umbrella as a, like a picture and that the kind of um, curved part of the umbrella, Mm -hmm. if we label that contemplation, Mm -hmm. and that is that thing that is, it's a gift. It's a grace. You or I can't make contemplation happen. It's that moment when you gaze into your lover's eyes or you're looking at a sunset and it's just that kind of moment where Mm. it's like, oh my gosh, this is absolutely beautiful. Um, and you know, sometimes it just happens and you're like, what? And as soon as you realize it, that's when it flees (laughs) and goes away. So that's more how I would define contemplation. It's a gift. It's something we can't make happen. But hanging down from the umbrella, if we were had that little arch part, we could tie spiritual practices underneath yeah. that umbrella. Mm-hmm. And there's literally hundreds of them. Um, that would be where I would look, say your mindfulness practices, your meditation practices, your um, journaling practices, mm-hmm. your art, your walking, your yoga. Those are things that help us to be able to receive the gift yeah. of contemplation, help us to be ready and be awake for when it when it happens. Okay. Um so I think that maybe helps a little bit of those two terms. Mm-hmm. Um, contemplative leadership, just to let go of everything I just said, because <laughs> it can get confusing. Um, and just think it's it's leading more from your heart and less from your head. So your head would be that rational space, that thinking space, the ego space that I would say the majority of us operate out of the majority of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and contemplative leadership is not saying that those things are bad or that they're wrong. Contemplative leadership would just say, let's see if we can come from a different place. Can we bring some balance and not always respond out of our head, but move down into our heart space, the space that um, we just know that we know this is the next thing to do. Um, It feels a little bit more intuitive. Like there's just, again, that mystery there of the next steps or the next things to do. Um, And I I was preparing for this podcast. I was kind of stuck up on what you were saying, Sarah, about (laughs) contemplative leadership. Do these two words go together? (laughs) And I listened to someone talk about how contemplative leadership, we have to stop thinking that um, to be a leader, you have to be this great, big, huge world changer that actually all of us in our own little ways can be leaders. Mm. And I believe all of us in our own little ways, if we want to be, can be contemplative leaders. Um, 
I think it's uh, the the little flower, St. Teresa of Lisieux. Mm-hmm. She says to do um, small things with great love. Mm. And I feel like that just encapsulates <laughs> contemplative leadership. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think they really do go together. I, 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 it's hard for me to imagine leadership without contemplation. Um, because I think that leadership and even work can be a practice that helps us evolve and have those graces Mm -hmm. and have those moments of, I mean, I think that I've probably had more moments of just being struck by awe and beauty in my work. Yeah. Mm, That's amazing. Yeah. So I, I think that there's, you know, I love your description of the practices. I think that that can foster, uh, the kind of leadership where we might have more of those moments of awe and beauty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now you've just both of you. Now I'm like, Oh, duh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. That's really beautiful, but it's still mysterious. Yeah. Okay. So here's the big question. I, and I think actually Kedron, you kind of touched on it just now, but what, you know, tell us a little bit about the benefit. Um, why would a leader even contemplate being a contemplative mm-hmm. one? Um, I love that question because I thought, oh my gosh, I know why. It takes the pressure off. Mm-hmm. Um, looking back on my life, I thought um, the switch from maybe leading again more from my head to more from my heart really took the pressure off. I'm someone who can put a ton of pressure on myself. Mm. Um, and if I'm thinking only out of my head, like I have to know all the answers. I have to know the next right step. I have to know exactly how to do it, how to implement that for myself. Now the people that are working for me, you know, I have to tell them exactly what to do. And it even goes back to that quote at the beginning a little bit, that Mm. place of, I don't actually know, but I'm choosing to believe there's something out there that's unfolding mm. and it, it wants the best for me. It wants the best for the people that work with me. It wants mm. the best for the world. And I have to just listen for that. And most, mostly I have to listen for that within, that the mm. answers are all there within me, within my heart. And my job is to just pay attention and mm. listen to that. Um, and so that takes some of the pressure off where I don't yeah. have to have all the answers and have it all <laughs> figured out. Um, it doesn't mean that contemplative leadership is easy. That's a hard place um, to be, at least for me, to sometimes have to say, I don't know the next steps. Yeah. This is what I think they are, and I'm going to yeah. trust, and I'm going to do my work and, and sit and listen and ask the questions. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a sometimes has to be a, a courageous place yeah. to be. Yeah. yeah. I think all those practices also really help. Because um, as a leader, they give us opportunities to stop, to reflect, to put aside our Mm -hmm. ego for even if it's only 20 minutes a day, um, to become more patient, um, Mm -hmm. to see more clearly if there's an arc, if there's a door that's opening that we should be walking through. Mm -hmm. So, so I I think, and I think it'll be interesting to think a little bit about how um, contemplative leadership is different than mindful leadership and mm. mindful work. I, I think, uh, I'm pretty sure I heard Richard Rohr say this on his new podcast that the idea of contemplation is really uh, looking at something, uh, for long enough that you see, um, hmm. why you love it 
And, and I think that's really interesting and very yeah. different from mindfulness. But Sarah, you probably have a question about that. <laughs> or do you have a question about that? No, no. Oh, I, okay. I was going to ask you to talk about that. I, um, because I, I, I think that, I, I think that they blend in a way, um, definitely. But, uh, but from what you're talking about, I'm wondering, do you have to be a spiritual person? Do you have to be a, do you have to be like a person of faith to even think about this is something important or, you know, can it be in any organization or any company? Like the example I was giving was Eileen Fisher. She's in fashion. So that's not like a church or anything. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, I mean, I don't, absolutely not you okay. need to be part of yeah. any religion or any but there is an element of that mystery that I do think you have to and maybe you don't but from my experience I feel like I have to um trust almost that almost that there's a higher power unfolding for the world's good mm. that I want to enter into and I want to be paying attention to mm. um but by no means does that mean you have to be a religious person or I don't yeah. know. That's my experience. What yeah. would you yeah. say, Kedrin? Well, I don't know. I have a friend who's a Taoist and she would probably say nature is where she would find um, the universe, yeah. you know, and yeah. I think that she could, she probably is a contemplative leader if you, if you think about it. Um, so I think the answer is I don't think you need any, institution or religion in order to be a contemplative leader. Um, Now, I think contemplative leaders may benefit from the practices of some traditional religions, Mm. um, borrowing from some of those practices so that they can get in touch with um, awe and grace a little bit more readily. but I, I don't I don't know if this is considered blasphemy, but there's no I don't know. I don't know. Is blasphemy a word that we say <laughs> these days? <laughs> Am I going to be strung up somewhere? Um, but, you know, I, I think it's fine to use practices from from all the places. Yeah. Well, that was my next question. What are are there concrete uh, practices to be a more contemplative leader? Yeah, um, absolutely. There's hundreds of them. <laughs> Um, as I was thinking about how I would answer this question, I really think it's, it kind of comes down to there's some stilling practices and then some listening practices. Mm -hmm. And again, there are probably hundreds of each type, but the stilling would be like where you can just let go of everything. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that's meditation for you or walking or journaling or doing art, but that place where you can just let go of perhaps any chaos or, or difficulties. Um, but then sort of along with that is the listening practices, that place where you're not just listening to others, but first and foremost, you're listening to that place deep inside of you, that voice inside of Mm -hmm. you. Um, And that can come through the examine, which is, you know, some questions at the end of the day to reflect back on your day, or perhaps an examine of your year to look Mm -hmm. back over your year. Mm -hmm. Um, That can be journaling, that can be, uh, there's a, you know, a myriad of practices to listen to your inner voice, and then also allowing that to kind of overflow so that you're deeply listening to others, the people that you work with, the mm. people in your family, the people in your neighborhood. Um, yeah. Okay. I Can I ask a little bit more about the examine? I, I think the examine is amazing, and I am not a religious person, but I, 
I find it to be so incredible. Do do you have some of the questions offhand? I actually, I might have them in my phone. Yeah, you're welcome to look them (laughs) up. Um, I have, so I really distilled the examine down. Um, I learned the examine through Ignatian spirituality, which um, essentially it's just this practice where you pick a time of your day, whether it's morning, lunchtime, or evening, where you just sort of settle, um, ask for the grace to help illuminate you're looking back of the last 24 hours. Um, and then you can ask yourself the series of questions, how I narrow it down at the end of the day is as I look back on my day, what moments were life giving today Mm. and what moments were life draining. And it's amazing. Those two simple questions when you sit with them or journal about them really are revealing, um, to then say, if I do this over the course of a week or a month and I look at my answers, I'm like, Oh my God, gosh, these things are really life draining for me. And I never even knew it. Maybe I shouldn't Mm. spend so much time here. (laughs) And these things are really life giving. And I didn't realize that how that spending more time there could really transform me or transform my family or transform my organization. Mm. So those are two really basic questions. There's a ton more you can sit with. Yeah. I love the examine. Um, just as an individual leader, but I also love the idea of using it for an entire organization that you would sit down collectively with your team and say, what has been life giving for us this week or this year? What has been life draining? And then it's that very gentle sort of writing of the ship, you know, where Mm. you're just slightly changing your trajectory. Um, I think it's just one of the most powerful practices, but it's truly contemplative leadership. Yeah. Because you're reflecting, yeah. um, you're taking the time. Yep. Well, we just gave such a big shout out to the examine. But my next question was, what is the practice that you use most or you would recommend? Yeah, I think my practice is sort of ebb and flow with the mm. seasons and where I'm at in my life. Okay. But the two I primarily always seem to return to are, um, I guess this one kind of combines two is using the feelings wheel Ah, and journaling. Okay. (laughs) So basically looking at the feelings wheel, notice how I'm feeling and then journaling about that. Like, where is this coming from? Or what might this be about? Or I just need to get this rage out right now that I am (laughs) feeling whatever the feeling is. Um, and I, that I think is important to me because it helps me be a contemplative leader because then I'm not functioning out of those emotions. Mm -hmm. Like if I actually recognize that I'm scared and can sit with that and can maybe journal about it when I'm in a leadership, um, moment Mm. and I feel scared, I don't then need to just react and make a quick decision out of fear because I've felt what it feels like to sit with that, to identify, maybe even to process it as I journal it. So that's one I seem to always return to. Mm. The other one I, um, always return to is meditation, just sitting, whether it's five minutes a day or 20 minutes a one or two times a day. Um, that again is just that place where I can just rest and I can be in, you know, if you will, in love and just sit and rest and, um, not even have to listen for anything, not have to do anything, but just get a chance to just be. Mm. Um, and it allows me then to practice too, letting whatever feelings come up in those five or 10 minutes. Mm. Um, Maybe even the feelings like, I hate this. I don't want to be here right now for these 10 minutes. <laughs> mm-hmm. How do I learn to sit in that place that's often really difficult and uncomfortable uncomfortable for me to sit in? 
Yeah, I have to say over the last four years since we started Work Wisdom, those practices combined with journaling is where how we've led the organization. Mm. So so I actually use the rosary. And so, you know, I mm. do that every morning yeah. re- religiously. <laughs> how about that? <laughs> but I'm bummed. Um, but... Um, and then journaling right after that. And so usually I, I feel really fertile and really open to mm. ideas and, and noticings. Um, and that if you look back over my journals over the last four years, that's how we've noticed um, what service lines to add, you know, what people to add to our team, when mm. to be courageous, when to you know, stand up to power and and maybe get in trouble. Um, but that's, but all of that sort of comes from that contemplative leadership practice. So I think when people listen, they're going to wonder what the feelings wheel is though. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So the school of life has a, a life size, a human size feelings wheel. Yeah. They call it the emotional barometer, but it's in London field trip ladies yes. okay. okay here we go <laughs> i want a picture of kimberly beside the life size feelings, feelings of the wheels. and I'm you excited. can spin it you can spin it yes so it's it's a real wheel okay i was just i wanted to make sure what do you say to what do you say to the naysayers who poo poo mindfulness and contemplation what's your retort yeah um i get i wouldn't probably say too much and that's not out of a mean yeah that's not out of a mean place or a negative place I would just come from the school of like if you're not feeling drawn to this then don't explore it yeah um I think you're just going to be more frustrated um so yeah I, I would say I would actually say only enter into this and begin exploring if you feel some sort of draw and that might draw might be oh my gosh wow this this sounds amazing or it might be as little as well, I wish I could live that way, but that's totally impossible. (laughs) Like that might be of enough of a spark, um, to allow you to be interested. But yeah, if you're not interested, there's many different paths. Don't, don't enter into it if you don't want to. (laughs) So, uh, okay. Thank you. I I'm so grateful to both of you for being part of this movement of helping world changers in the workplace, enhance their individual and collective team performance. Thank you, listeners, for downloading The Behaviorist. We hope you will subscribe. Um, Please reach out to us through our website. It's workwisdomllc.com. You can enjoy uh, Work Wisdom Press and Productions, ask questions, give us suggestions of topics you'd like us to explore in future episodes. As is our custom, we're going to leave you with another one-minute wisdom by Anthony DeMello. How shall I help the world? By understanding it, said the master. And how shall I understand it? By turning away from it. How then shall I serve humanity? By understanding yourself. <laughs> <laughs>